0: This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. Shared
1: horror movie universe.
0: You guys want to do a show? Yeah, let's just get this over with. Jesus Christ. Let's Aww. go.
1: Hey! <laughs> it's like a project. Hey, welcome back to another episode of 1980s now. A weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name's Will. Joining me as always are my friends and co-hosts, Ray and Kat. Hello. Howdy. I feel like I'm speaking quickly because Ray said, let's just get this over with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't I don't think I said that. <laughs> I think I said it like this. Hey. Let's get this over with. (laughs) So I
1: should slow down. Okay. (laughs) On today's show, we're going to be exploring the surprising connections between several classic horror films of the 1980s. But before that, a couple of announcements. Ding. Hey, the A Million Miler Contest, the giveaway is over. It ended at the end of September. And as we announced on Facebook Live, right after we, uh, we picked the winners live on Facebook Live, actually. Mm-hmm. Amber Massey won the vinyl, a Million Miler, and Alicia. I'm gonna say Alicia, right? Alicia, Alicia, mm-hmm. Alicia. I think Hill mostly Alicia, Alicia probably mm-hmm. won the cassette. So you guys can look forward to receiving those in the mail shortly. Thank you for supporting Humans We're Here, mm-hmm. a Million Miler, and us. I bet they were psyched. Yeah, they were. They did write back. You know, of course, we had the uh, had the privilege of emailing them and letting them know they won, and they were. They seemed both seem to be very excited to be able to get their hands on that. Authentic, vintage, but new music. Sweet. Okay. Hey, once again, it's time to... Thank you for your cooperation. Thank you for your cooperation. (laughs) Somebody named Scott writes us uh, regarding, quote, never too late for the old episode. (laughs) I think Scott was talking about our episode, our last episode where we talked asked whether we were getting too old for this. Mm -hmm. Scott wrote... I thought that the episode was an interesting departure from other shows because it seemed to have less structure, be more conversational, and make you all more accessible. Huh. I think talking about Ray, who's like a fortress. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: I'm a fortress, yeah. all right. I, I think I'm pretty accessible yeah. uh, as far as a show goes.
1: You're so hard to read. Yeah. Scott writes, Although I wouldn't recommend you all complaining about aging on the regular. Oh, no. I think that would be a different kind of show, but I think the stories will help the audience connect to you as people. Aww. Well, that was very nice of Scott to write, but if these stories help the people connect to us as people, they've been connecting to us all this all the while. as? are we hmm. just characters? Uh, yes, <laughs> impregnable, impregnable, impregnable characters. Hey, there's only one of us
0: can get impregnable.
1: Oh. <laughs> hmm. I'm going to let that go. Wow. Yeah. Hey, let's get caught up on 1980s news. So check this out. Per The Hollywood Reporter, Scott Bakula says, quote, significant conversations, unquote, occurring about a Quantum Leap reboot. Were you guys a fan of, of the uh, Quantum Leap show?
0: Yes. I like Quantum Leap. I thought it was mm-hmm. cool.
1: I've heard that it's really cool
2: mm. by you guys. <laughs> from Ray a moment ago. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> right, do you know who
2: Scott Bakula is? Mm, what else has he been in?
0: No, oh. you, you should have said, yeah, he's the dude from Quantum Leap. Oh, he's <laughs> That's what's the answer. You know,
1: everything you need to know. <laughs> uh, you know I was driving in uh, New York, uh, Times Square, uh, several years ago now, and I won't say I almost hit Scott Bakula with my car. I'd say it that way because it sounds more interesting. <laughs> but then stuck in traffic in the middle of a street in the theater section, he did. He wasn't, a, he was in a play at the time, I know. Uh, oh, he did cross in front it. of the car and, you know, thank you for letting me pass by kind of thing. <laughs> Give me that gesture. I was like, that's Scott Bakula. <laughs> the guy from Quantum Leap. <laughs> the original show ran on NBC for five seasons from March of 1989 through May of 1993. And it could be brought back. Uh, as a guest on Bob's Saget's podcast, Bakula did not tip his hand as to what specifically he knows, but did say he believes he may be leaping again. Quote, there's very significant conversations about it going on right now. So it would be him?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. He, he does
1: go on to talk about how the creator of the show, who says he's been thinking about this for decades, and every time he thinks about it, he can't picture anyone else other than Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, who are the two stars of the show, okay. b- mm-hmm. reprising their roles. Since you don't know Kat, in the show, back in plays Dr. Sam Beckett, who mm-hmm. he's a physicist who involuntarily time travels, leaps into different people's bodies, takes over mm-hmm. their body. I don't know what happens to the person when he leaps into them. Do we ever find that out on the hey, show? Hey,
0: this is mm-hmm. what I want the new show to address. <laughs> I want to, I want a, a cut scene yeah. to the person just screaming, their head off like, where am I? Yeah. What is going on? And then it cuts back to Scott Bakula and Dean Mm -hmm. having fun with the body. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then it just keeps cutting back to this guy screaming like it's utter pain.
1: I love this. They're just like in a void. (laughs) Yeah. Floating no ray
2: thinks they're in pain though apparently (laughs) and he seems really excited about that (laughs) i wonder if they're
1: forced to watch him like control their body
0: oh oh, that'd be even better like i wouldn't do that (laughs) yeah oh yeah
1: i'm watching scott Bakula bang my wife it hurts
2: oh my god
1: well i get my wife back (laughs) so cat he leaves into these bodies and then he fixes Mm -hmm. some sort of problem they were you know having Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then as a result of solving the problem, he leaps again. Does he he never goes back into his own? He's just going from I think somebody else's. In the, to the last else. episode he does leap back. Mm-hmm. And I think he leaps back to the spoiler. I think he leaps back to where <laughs> Al, Dean Stockwell's character is, I think maybe once. Mm-hmm. I think maybe even Dean Stockwell maybe takes over a body on one episode. I don't know. After a few seasons, maybe they mixed it up. I can't remember. It's a good show, though.
0: Oh, huh. It's an excellent show.
1: Back of it says he doesn't know what it would be. Mm-hmm. He also joked that co-star Stockwell might cost too much to
0: return.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Has he been in other things? Is he very popular? Oh, you've seen him in
0: tons of things, but I can't <laughs> yeah. think of what he's doing you, now. You've seen him in Quantum Leap. Yeah,
1: right. Cat, <laughs> come on. You had another chance. man. <laughs> 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 All right, another nineteen eighties news. Also, according to the Hollywood Reporter, Friday the Thirteenth writer wins appeal to reclaim the franchise rights. Oh. Victor Miller, the or, the author of the original, the very original Friday the Thirteenth, is set to reclaim the domestic rights to the franchise from the producer.
0: This this story is actually crazy because yep. um, Sean Cunningham. Mm-hmm is um the driving force of friday yeah and um he's losing the rights to the original writer of Mm -hmm. the first movie Mm -hmm. which makes no sense because this guy has pretty much spearheaded this thing the whole time so now they got to figure out what to do Uh, miller Mm -hmm. attempted to leverage part of the copyright
1: law that allows authors to reclaim their rights to what they once created after a statutory set period of time it's not like what uh, the heirs of the comic book creators are now attempting against Disney, although the important differences, given the Marvel comic books at issue, were published before copyright law was changed in the mid-70s, and Friday the 13th came afterward. So that may mm-hmm. affect things somehow for them. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they're making the same argument, and as Ray says, the other side, Sean Cunningham, who created and who, who produced and directed the first Friday the 13th, is saying, no, that was a work for hire. And in copyright law, if if something's a work for hire, it belongs to the person you were hired by. Ah, gotcha, yes. But copyright, oh, we're going to get really legal stuff here. It's going to get boring real quick, right? The idea of copyright (laughs) law is to protect creators and encourage innovation. I'll just Mm -hmm. say that much. Mm -hmm. And so it would be, you know, the the idea that these things expire is good, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, what I would like to see happen here is, um, bring him back, write another one, uh, have everybody involved, Cunningham, that dude, yep. make a new uh, Friday the 13th movie yep. and um, work it out so that uh, they can make a bunch more and he gets paid and, you know, it'll probably be good. I think that's the way you work this out.
1: Well, you know, there there is, it is likely that even though the court is so far sided with Miller, you're right, Ray, there may be a settlement because if you remember in the very least, mm-hmm. the fact that he wrote the first Friday the 13th means that he probably doesn't have any rights to Jason. Yep. Who actually isn't in that film. So I don't know what the value of having this, this story otherwise is without Jason. Right.
0: Uh, well, Once again, though, if he can come up with a great story in yep. the franchise, I, I, I'm i all in on that. Because that first movie is probably the best one in the entire franchise. Yep. Without that one, there is no Friday the 13th. If you go straight to Jason, you're just another hacker, you know, 70s slasher movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, that one sets the tone for Mm -hmm. the the whole franchise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's such an important film. It created a lot of the tropes that films
1: in the 80s and beyond have followed. This idea that, for example, if you're promiscuous, you're going to get murdered. If you're naked, you're going to get murdered. Yeah, if
0: you're drunk, you're getting murdered. Yeah, if you're smoking pot, you're getting murdered. (laughs) You go skinny dipping, you're getting murdered. Yeah, all the tropes are in the first one, yeah.
2: So they basically can't make another Friday the 13th movie without his permission with this
1: is that right well they may Who's have that? to disconnect you know they they'll probably have to figure out what they own versus what he owns and then create okay. a story based yeah. on that okay like, like it seems a hockey wearing uh, murderer <laughs> it belongs to mm-hmm. the sean cunningham okay right. mm-hmm. you know a little boy that drowned in a lake <laughs> named jason <laughs> that's Vic miller
0: that's his yep. okay. <laughs> um, dead mom killer yeah
1: so, so far, as I said, the court decided with Vic Miller and they may be some subsequent appeals or some settlement, ultimate okay. settlement, but I thought it was funny that the, uh, the summary judgment issued by the U- US District Court Judge Stephan Underhill starts this way. Uh, the film created from the screenplay went on to significant commercial success. <laughs> Lurking below that peaceful surface, however, was the Copyright Act's termination right, waiting just for the right moment when it would emerge and wreak havoc on the rights to the screenplay <laughs> that's well written
0: <laughs> wow these, these, all these judges these you know attorneys frustrated that's, performers that's actually a better written than parts four through uh 13. <laughs> there
1: you go. Yeah. Uh, in wow. other 80s news and the saddest of the news this week right and probably the biggest bummer you've heard in a long time per the las vegas review journal David Lee Roth is throwing in the shoes, as he says, uh, for the lay folk who are not from whatever planet David Lee Roth comes from, <laughs> means retiring.
0: I'm okay with this. Uh, he's he's picked his time. Alex Van Halen is coming in to play the last five shows with him. It's crazy. On drums. So wow. that's cool. And a uh, little known fact, um, yep. A Little Ain't Enough came out in 91. Yep. The end of that video, mm-hmm. you see David Lee Roth retiring in October tenth, twenty
1: twenty one. What isn't that crazy? I mean, come on. I wonder did he did he remember or know before he issued <sighs> you know his statement and decided that he was going to announce it now? Because as you know, his final shows are in January.
0: Yeah, he, I think uh, I think this is just a coincidence because in the video he's wearing a fat suit and he gets out yeah, of the oh, car. Oh, and, oh boy! <laughs> but but technically is the date and the video is they're talking about the final tour. So technically it's, it's almost identical mm. to what happened yeah. except for he's not all big and fat and yep. jumping around like an idiot. So, <laughs> uh, this is a, a good ending to the story for him because, uh, it could have ended like, you know, Ed Van Halen.
1: Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, and spe- speaking of that, uh, part of this this uh, announcement, which is several minutes long, I think it's over seven minutes long, But the part yeah. that fo- focuses on the retirements just a couple the last couple minutes of it. But he does say that this was inspired in part about him thinking about the quote, departure of my beloved classmate recently. And, quote, Mm -hmm. of course, referring to, as you mentioned, Eddie Van Halen, who died of throat cancer just about a year ago. Mm -hmm. David Lee Roth says, he's, quote, I'm I'm encouraged and compelled to really come to grips with how short time is, and my time is probably even shorter.
2: And my doctors, my handlers, compel me to uh, really address that every time I go on that stage... I endanger that future.
1: You know, Ray, you talked about him him going out and choosing, you know, sort of the time of his, you know, sort of riding off into the sunset. Uh, is there another announcement yet to come about his health, I'm wondering, because he's talking about his doctors are saying every time he appears, he's risking his life, essentially.
0: I don't think so. I think it's more of the way he is on stage with the the big giant kicks and jumping over and mm. screaming uh, at his age, I think they pretty much said, look, man, do you, do you want to have a heart attack on stage? Is that the way you want to go out? Is that the way you want to be remembered? Or do you, you want to live to be 120?
1: So maybe like you're saying, as compared to other performers who are still out there, like Mick Jagger, who is probably at least 10 years older than David Lee Roth, their style allows him maybe to perform because it's so more laid back and
0: yeah, Mick Jagger's just walking around the stage doing shoulder shrugs. Doing that, like, chicken thing. There, There's no <laughs> giant, like, I've never seen Mick Jagger jump over the drums. I've never seen him have a sword. Like, <laughs> you know, he's not out there doing what David Lee Roth does. And I get it. Dave finally realized he's not what he was in 1984. <laughs> he's, he's okay with it, and I like that he's okay with it, and that's cool. The only reason I
2: haven't made any snide comments about Simon Laban not retiring <laughs> was when I read the part about, okay, he's taking care of himself. It seems like this is a self-care, listening to one's doctor's situation. Mm. So I want to
1: respect that. And they're not actually not all that far off in age. Uh, Roth just turned ah. 67 and Laban
0: is mm-hmm. 62. Mm-hmm. Now, once again, mm-hmm. I've never seen LeBond doing ninja kicks with yeah. a sword. Mm-hmm.
2: No, but he's he's still jumping away. He's jumping and dancing and yeah, wiggling. Seen,
1: and- uh,
0: yeah, wiggling's <laughs> different than jumping.
1: Kat's taking a lesson out of your book. She said, look, I'm not going to say anything bad about how Simon LeBond's still doing awesome things and still wiggling around.
0: Because she just said it. I just said it. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I like to take the high road, but I'll point mm-hmm. out that Cat stopped listening to them at one point. So
2: oh, I'm not even mm-hmm. going to try to defend myself about mm-hmm. that. But I will say that... I like in the article how um, David Lee Ross said that he and uh, Alex Van Halen laugh like pirates together. I was <laughs>
1: wondering about that. Yeah. Like, R,
0: R, R, R. That's absolutely what it is. It's like Mr. Krabs, yeah. <laughs> absolutely.
1: <laughs> All right, hey, that was 1980s news. If you like the show, you've probably stretched a few times before you did your high k- front kicks. <laughs> and you haven't injured yourself. So please rate, review, subscribe, go to Facebook and like our, our group there. Do all those things that help uh, other folks learn about our show. Okay. So uh, just a few, ooh, it was probably, well, it was when Kat first joined us. So it was back in May, I guess, right? When I was mm-hmm. so angry about that mm-hmm. other podcast that would said that <laughs> two, just two movies were connected in the 1980s. Why? Because they happened <laughs> on the same day. Big frigging deal. <laughs> we connected a bunch of movies together after that. I don't remember how many. I think it was mm-hmm. 20 some odd films. I'm pretty sure it was 67. 67 mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Ray's got a memory like
0: a Yeah, impenetrable. it's Steel Trap. Steel Trap. trap. Yeah, okay. So
1: on this episode, because, hey, it's the ho- it's Halloween. It's our favorite time of year. It's spooky. <laughs> it's creepy. It's dark and those sorts of things. And we also love... No one more than Ray on our show. 1980s -hmm. horror films. So today, not unlike what we did just a few months ago, we are going to, instead of connecting just, you know, generic or any old 1980s films together, we are going to demonstrate how there are several 1980s horror movies that are in the same movie universe. Whoa. These films, if they have any kind of in-film reference, Easter egg, homage, Visual thing. Whether the director knew it was happening or the costume designer snuck it in, Mm. we're going to say this means these are in the same universe. Hmm. To make it more interesting, of course, we're going to make it into a little game and have Ray and (laughs) Kat compete to identify (laughs) these films. So just like the last time, I have now presented to Ray and Kat a board, a game board of sorts that has a number of different boxes, nine specifically, that are connected by a various lines that, uh, you know, demonstrate or show the relationship or connections between two or more films. Again, Mm -hmm. horror films from the 1980s. Now, because Mm -hmm. they're all horror films, the initial clue you're going to get is just the year the film comes out. And then I'll give you, or I should say that's, you know, that's sort of the high level information you get. And then we will give clues going back and forth between you. Uh, until someone gets it, and just like last time, you get the first, you get it on the first clue, 30 points, 20 mm-hmm. points for the second, 10 on the th- clue, three, mm-hmm. probably two mm-hmm. or three questions in, we'll forget about the point system and I'll have to double back and figure <laughs> it out. <Yeah. laughs> nice. So all of these films, just like last time again, because a single film can connect an entire franchise- you know, one film is not going to appear on this more than once so a, or a franchise of a a sequel of a film rather is not going to appear mm. on this board if the original has, for example. Okay. That said, some of these films are connected by films that uh, are outside of the 1980s. So to get mm. them all to be within our, and because they are connected, you know, by a uh, proxy or, you know, I am going to describe to you the films from the series that happened in the 1980s. Mm. Makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, there's also one red box on this board for is a film that came out in, outside of the 1980s and does not have any sequel uh, in, in that decade. Okay. Before the show began, it was decided that <laughs> Ray would go first. Yeah. Yes. Oh wait, yes. Cats, Okay. I want a better clue. <laughs> okay. Oh, I, well, absolutely. They do get easier. You're right. But (laughs) you're you're counting on Ray not getting the first clue. I am. That could be bad (laughs) already. I'm gambling. (laughs) All right, so, Ray, we're going to start on this box. Uh This is a film that came out in 1981. Okay. And your first clue is before making this breakthrough film, the director and the star made several low budget Super 8 film projects together Evil Dead. That's right. Oh, my God, Cat, you're in trouble. This is, oh, is going to be...
2: I am in serious, serious trouble. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Okay, good so
1: Very oh, good. And since Ray got it on the first try... He's going got...
2: to get every single one.
1: <laughs> well, I guess the good thing is it, it goes over to you now for the next one. At least. Yeah, that's good. Oh, I don't know if that's good. <laughs> so you could, you know, hey, you can get one right now, too. I, so, yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, of course, uh, the Evil Dead... Written and directed by Sam Raimi and starring Bruce Campbell, it was released in 1981. On a budget of $375,000, the cult classic earned $2.7 million in the U.S. box office alone. And that's before mm-hmm. it went on to be a cult classic, you know, from watching it on videotape. That's where my friends and I first saw it, was uh, from the rental store. Mm-hmm. While vacationing in a remote cabin, a group of college students unwittingly summon the dead. <laughs> During the course of their supernatural misadventures, they find the Natorum Demento. De, no, Dema. <laughs> The Necronomicon. Later, it's known as the Necronomicon, right? But it it seems to be, at least based on this, right? I don't remember. In the first film, they call it the Natorum Demonto. Demonto? Demonto. 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 Let's just say Necronomicon. (laughs) Which is the Sumerian version of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And uh, they also find a Sumerian dagger both of which play a role in conjuring and destroying the evil deadites. Evil deadites? Yeah. That's what they're called?
0: No, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Have you not Uh seen Uh The Evil Dead?
2: You are correct, sir. Oh,
0: my God. (laughs) Do I get another point for that?
1: No. No. (laughs) The uh, franchise includes two direct sequels, a soft reboot, a continuation in 2013, and a follow-up TV series, Ash vs. The Evil Dead, which aired from 2015 to 2018. And it made the careers of uh, the writer director Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. We would not, but for this, film, well, they probably would have become big uh, <laughs> in some other film. But this is the one that put them both on the map. Great. All right. <laughs> Next up. All right. So, Kat, <laughs> where do you want to go? This is this is connected to a number of different things. I, I
2: feel like I need to move off
0: to the left
1: there <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> All right. This
2: is a 1988
0: film. Would you like me to tell you? I need <laughs> 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 just from that. Just from that. Your first clue, Kat. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry, Kat.
1: (laughs) Your first clue is it was the directorial debut. Mm -hmm. Should I just ask, Ray? (laughs) Of special effects artist Stan Winston. Oh, good old Stan. Uh, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Directorial debut. For thirty points,
2: mm, should I take a guess? Of course, <laughs> you should. How about something from
1: Nightmare on Elm Street? Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Good hmm. guess though. Thanks. <laughs> All right, Ray. Your second clue for twenty points. It stars Lance Henriksen. Uh, Pumpkinhead.
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> this is also going to be a short episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Ray show. <laughs> so uh, for cats, since you don't know. This <laughs> film was about a, a uh, man who loses his son. Mm-hmm. Who's accidentally killed by some mm. bikers, kids on mm. bikes, right? He, oh. As a result, he conspires with a witch to get revenge on those, uh, folks. And as a, <laughs> so he has to bring her a dead body and then she winds up using some magic to turn this, uh, Corpse into ultimately what is pumpkin head? This sounds inadvisable.
0: This <laughs> and, this man was within all of his rights to do this.
1: Yes. And while while pumpkin so pumpkin head goes around enacting revenge on all these people that were involved in his kid's death, mm. and the horrible thing about it is he can see what pumpkin head's doing when he's killing these people. Oh my!
0: But I don't know why he's upset.
1: Uh, it's gonna be hard to watch someone get murdered. He know. just wants it to happen. He yeah. doesn't want
2: to see it. Huh. I'm always learning something. On this show. (laughs)
1: Mm. It was released, uh, as we mentioned, in 1988. Mm -hmm. At the time, Chris Willman of the Los Angeles Times wrote that, despite its poor writing, the premise is interesting, but it's not executed as well as Forbidden Planet. (laughs) come on. (laughs) But despite its poor box office results, it became a cult film. In 2013, it was included in a list of underrated horror killers at Fearnet, and Fangoria included it in their 101 Best Horror Movies You've Never Seen. And it did spawn a direct-to-video sequel, two film sequels and a comic book series. All right, let's... Uh, well, hey, Ray, before we move on, you know what its connection to the Evil Dead is. Because that's what we're talking about, building a shared mm, horror movie right.
0: universe. What is the connection here? Yeah. I'm going to say uh,
1: the car. Hmm, that's actually a great guess. So he's referring to Ash's iconic-looking something
0: old car. I don't remember what it is. Uh, the Plymouth. I think well, it's, it's a Plymouth. Yeah, it's probably Plymouth. Hmm.
1: No, in 1994's straight to video sequel, Pumpkinhead 2, Bloodwings, the Necronomicon can be seen in Miss Ossie's cabin, mm. suggesting that the old blind witch of the film uses the Book of the Dead as part of her spells. Oh. Which may also suggest why the witch in the first film was able to raise Pumpkinhead.
0: Should have known that.
1: Mm. Uh-huh. All right, Kat, where do you want to go? You could uh, branch off and- Is it still my work? turn? Oh, oh, sorry. You're right. Race turn. <laughs> sorry. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> Whatever. You look, I'm not, a, I'm not a game show host. I'm barely a <laughs> podcast host. I'm not a good game show content. <laughs> All right.
0: We'll call it even. All right. Let's, let's drop straight down to the that box right there with the two little wings off of it. Oh, it okay. does have two right, uh, this, fancy mm-hmm. roads.
1: This uh, clue <laughs> refers to a film that came out in 1984.
0: Mm-hmm. And your first clue, Ray, for 30
1: points right. is although the film was released in 1984, it is set in 1981,
0: the year mm-hmm. in which it was written. I'm going to go with, uh, let's go with The Howling.
1: Sorry, that's not correct. All right. Clue number two is for Cat for 20 points. You can get on the board here, Cat. Ready? Mm-hmm. The plot <laughs> concerns four teenagers... Living on oh. one street in the fictitious town of Springwood, Ohio. Um,
2: I don't know, but I'm going to try guessing Nightmare on Elm Street again, <laughs> see what happens.
1: That's right,
2: <laughs> oh, yay! Because <laughs> I did see that movie. Oh,
1: good. <laughs> Was it then living on one street that,
2: hmm, um, no? the street when you said street?
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the word street was in there.
2: <laughs> and four, what were they, teenagers? Yeah. All right, now
1: we got a game here. 50 to 20. <laughs> Released in 1984, as I mentioned, this film was written and directed by Wes Craven. It stars John oh. Saxon, Amanda Wiss, Heather Langenkamp, Robert Englund, and marks the film debut of Johnny Depp. Oh. It was met with uh, rave critical reviews and is considered to be one of the greatest horror films ever made. Spawning a franchise consisting of six sequels and a television series. Any thoughts about how it might be connected to *The Evil Dead*? Mm. 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 In the <laughs> *Evil Dead* film, <laughs> Sam Raimi included a ripped poster of a
0: Wes uh, Craven film. God damn it! I should have known that.
1: As a humorous way of telling Craven that no, this is a real horror film, pal. And that's according to uh, Sam Raimi. He told this to *Esquire* back in 2007. As a result of seeing this little in-movie sort of diss, Wes Craven in A Nightmare on Elm Street had his character, Nancy, played by Heather Langenkamp, falling asleep while watching The Evil Dead. Man, I should (laughs) have remembered
0: that. Damn it.
1: In response to that, Sam Raimi, in his sequel to Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, 1987, he put in uh, the cabin... Freddy Krueger's glove is, is hanging there clear as day, oh, which, you know, suggests, I don't know. Freddy is like, no, you know, he, he's not, he doesn't, what he doesn't compare it. The threat of Freddy Krueger doesn't compare it to what Ash is about to face. His glove is hanging there. So someone dispensed with him at some point, some time ago, <laughs> the, the, the uh, cinema communication between Raimi and Craven continued into the nineties with scream. <laughs> oh. If you remember that Randy, the character, I just watched this very recently. Randy, the character played by Jamie Kennedy, was, of course, a like hardcore fan of horror movies. You know them inside and out. At the start of the film's party scene, he holds up a series of VHS tapes and asks the characters which one they want to watch. Included among them is the Evil Dead, but instead they pick Halloween. <laughs> oh. All right, Kat, where would you like to go here? Any number of different places you can go? I'll take the long road away there. <laughs> All right, this is regarding a film that came out in 1988, a horror film that came out in 1988. Okay. All right, your first clue is... I'm so sorry, Cat. Whenever you get the first one, I should just rearrange them when it's your turn, right? I mean, but here's the problem because if it goes back to Ray, then after that, you know he's definitely getting it. It's okay. All right. Totally it was fine. written and co-directed by Tom Holland, who also wrote 1982's sequel to Psycho. Mm,
2: I got nothing. <laughs>
1: Okay. Thanks. Back Thanks for to that. Ray, <laughs> for 20 points, your second clue. Ray, although you only see his face briefly, Brad Dourif
0: plays the killer in this film. Huh. Mm-hmm. I'm drawing a blank on this one. Oh. Stumped? Uh I don't know. I'm going to go wolfing. Whatever. Sorry. That was weird.
1: Cat, you can get 10 points and <laughs> uh, we'll come within 20 points of Ray here at this point. <laughs> your clue. Clue number three. Mm-hmm. Is the plot, or a vague summary of the plot, as we say. Okay. A widowed mother gives a doll to her son, unaware that the doll is possessed by the soul of a serial killer.
2: Is this that Chucky? <laughs> Chucky, that Chucky doll is that movie? The, <laughs> that, that's
0: close enough All right Oh wait no no that
2: Annabelle Annabelle or whatever Oh God Now Ray
0: Stop talking on, She's going wait, in, the talking. in the wrong direction Stop <laughs> talking I gave you the The goddamn thing Just stop talking
1: <laughs> We're looking for Child's Play Which I'll have to have you record So I can dub it in
0: if you got it right All right
2: <laughs> So is that the Chucky doll Yes it's Chucky Yes it's called Chucky? Child's Play
1: <laughs> <laughs> Released in 88 The film was directed by Tom Holland, as I mentioned, and co-written by Holland with Don Mancini and John LaFia. A homicide detective chases serial killer Charles Lee Ray through the streets of Chicago, where he breaks into a toy store where he's fatally shot. Dying, he performs a Haitian voodoo spell, which transfers his soul to one of the good guy dolls there and causes the store to explode. Later, Ray's uh, corpse is found alongside the doll. The next day, widow Karen Barclay unknowingly buys a doll. the doll as a birthday present for her six-year-old son, Andy. Then the comedy ensues. <laughs> the comedy. <laughs> From an exploded store? You know, the, uh, um, she winds up buying it off of a homeless man. So the, the, the thing is devastating. Okay. This homeless, homeless man gets his hands on gotcha. it. He sells okay. the tour. Uh, A number of influences inspired the story, including some popular 1980s toys. Mancini said he was influenced by the Cabbage Patch Kids the film Poltergeist, the character Freddy Krueger, and the *Twilight Zone* episode *The Living Doll*. If you remember that one, that's a uh, mm. Talking Tina. Something like that. Yeah. She's like mm. she's like I'm Talking Tina, and I'm going to kill you.
2: It's really Something deep. like
1: that. Yeah. And the director Tom Holland affirmed that my buddy dolls played a role in Chucky's design. Do you remember those my buddy my buddy? Yeah. Oh, my yeah.
2: buddy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Looks yes, kind I of like remember a Chucky that. Doll.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, along with the film getting a cult following the box office success spawned a media franchise that includes a series of six sequels, merchandise, comic books, a reboot film of the same name released in the summer of 2019 and coming out this month, a TV series. Wow. Hmm. What about its connection to a nightmare on Elm Street? Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) You guys aren't going to get this one. I'll just tell you because, and the reason you're not going to get it is because (laughs) Mm -hmm. this, Mm -hmm. these two 1980s franchises are connected through the 1998 sequel, bride of Chucky. And in that film, Tiffany, the possessed doll played by Jennifer Tilly, steals Chucky's remains from a police compound. In the police station, Tiffany passes some various objects in evidence lockers, including Freddy's glove. Oh my gosh! Um, let's Got see, it. Ray, it's your turn to pick where we're going mm-hmm. next. I'm going to go up. All right, from Child's Play. Yeah. All right, and your clue is a 1981 film. Your first clue, Ray, is this sequel is set 15 years after the original film. I'm going to say psycho. <laughs> clue number two to Cat for 20 points. Yeah. You could tie with Ray if you get this clue, the, the movie based on this clue, Cat. Okay. Of the 11 films in this franchise, Whoa. one is completely unrelated to the others. 11?
2: Um, is it Friday the 13th that we talked about in the news? Sorry. Not no. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay, Ray. You get the final clue, Ray, for 10 points. This film stars
0: Jamie Lee Curtis. Wait, what? You said the, the first movie was 15 years before 81? It's set 15 years before this one. Ah, yes. uh, it's Halloween then.
2: That's right! Thank you, oh my gosh i was gonna that was one of my two guesses but i didn't think there were that many halloween movies i think oh the 15 years
1: includes the you know the beginning when he first kills. yeah his, yeah uh,
0: that's baby that's son. what that's what threw me yeah. off yeah because wow. the, the uh
1: i think the the first film begins with the flashback right yeah, it's, but we all
0: know it's Halloween 3.
2: <laughs> oh, the one that is- The one unrelated. that's not connected yes, to the rest. Yes, of
0: course. Yeah. Exactly. And
1: that's the right. one that I so, saw. Just put this that's why I thought you were going to get it. <laughs> of all of them, that's the best one. Uh, released in 1981, it was written by John Carpenter, but directed by Rick Rosenthal. As I mentioned, Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, stars in it. And Donald Pleasance also returns, both to play their roles from the original film. Which, as you, I'm sure you know, is about a mental patient who was committed to a sanitarium for murdering his babysitting teenage sister on Halloween night. He escapes 15 years later, returns to his hometown, and stalks Lori Strode and her friends. The the plot of the sequel picks up immediately after the first film, with uh, Michael Myers following Lori Strode to the local hospital while psychiatrist Dr. Loomis continues his pursuit of him. And how you might, how, you have any guesses? How it's,
0: yeah, I would guess that uh, the, The Michael Myers mask was also in the scene from with the uh, Freddy glove.
2: That's right! Wow, nice.
0: That's also seen in one of the evidence lockers. Kat, (laughs) where would you like to go here on our board?
2: Well, I'll take that little diagonal road down the middle.
1: Fancy. All Mm. right. (laughs) So this will give us a film that's connected to The Evil Dead, Halloween, and Child's Play. All of those franchises. Oh, and Nightmare on Elm Street. All four of those film franchises will be connected by this one here. They may be connected in various ways, but that's a lot of pressure. They are connected. So, and that film is a horror movie released in 1980. All right, your first clue, cat, is mm-hmm. <laughs> this. First clue is this film was written by Victor Miller and directed by Sean Cunningham.
2: <gasps> Victor Miller, Friday the Thirteenth. That's right. Yay! <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is what happens when you create the game on a different day that you create the news.
2: Oh, man. That would have been, if we hadn't just talked about this,
1: <laughs> forget it. All right. But with that, Cat pulls ahead by 10 points, Ray. Nice. Now there we got something wrong, There's something wrong with that. This film, like the Halloween, or like the Halloween franchise, spawned 12 films. Uh, released in the May of 1980, it starred Adrian King and Betsy Palmer as Alice and Mrs. Voorhees, respectively, and a then unknown Kevin Bacon as one of the camp counselors. Oh. Uh, the director who previously worked with filmmaker Wes Craven on the film The Last House on the Left was inspired by John Carpenter's Halloween. He wanted Friday the 13th to be shocking, visually stunning, and, quote, make you jump out of your seat, end quote. All right, wow. So, hmm, there's a <laughs> lot of movies that this one's connected to. Good thing this isn't part of the... The contest. <laughs> I think you say part of the show. Like, we're going to edit all this out. <laughs>
2: no, no. Yeah. All these connections. Good I'm not trying to earn points. All right, let's just part. go through the yeah. thing
1: here. All right, how is it connected to the evil dead? Is there some kind of prop? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, essentially, essentially, yes. The connection between these two mm-hmm. popular franchises is revealed actually in a sequel to the original film, 1993's Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. In that mm-hmm. film, down in the Voorhees basement... Mm-hmm. we see the two most iconic objects from the Evil Dead films, the Necronomicon and the Candarian. Oh. hope I'm saying that right, dagger. Wow, okay. In fact, it's the dagger that's used to kill Jason once and for all. Well, And it's not a coincidence at all that these are down there, and it's not even a, an homage or a joke or an Easter egg. According to writer and director Adam Marcus, he and co-writer Dean Laurie wanted to bring logic to a work where a little boy killed somebody decades ago could reemerge as a grown unstoppable murderer, you know, just uh, two weeks later. That's how it was essentially the distance uh-huh. between Friday the 13th, one and two, which are just two weeks apart. Mm-hmm. Um, because Bob Kurtzman, who was working on the special effects for the f- this Friday, the 13th film and also army of darkness Marcus was able to visit Sam Raimi's set there. He asked Kurtzman if Raimi would let him borrow the Necronomicon for Jason goes to hell. <laughs> now they couldn't say deadite or evil dead in their, in their movie because they were owned by different companies. So instead he placed the book in the Voorhees house and had the hero use the dagger to kill Jason. And per Marcus, he, this set up a quote mythology that Jason's mom wanted her son back so badly she made a deal with the darkness so she reads for the necronomicon and brings about the resurrection of her son end quote and of course well, as a result she's also you know dies is uh at the mm-hmm. hands of this dagger. Mm-hmm. it's connected by to a nightmare in elm street because in this same film after jason's killed with the dagger demonic hands burst out of the ground and pull jason into hell leaving only his iconic mask behind Ooh. but moments later a recognizable glove bursts through the dirt And pulls the mask down as well. Oh my gosh. Years earlier. So this film came out in, uh, what did I say? 90 something, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 93. Even earlier than that, the uh, film companies had already, were negotiating how they could have Freddie and Jason in a film together. And ultimately what they decided was they were going to make a film to set up them being together in a film. And that was Jason Goes to Hell. (laughs) We didn't actually see them fight together in uh, Freddie versus Jason or Jason versus Freddie. So for another uh, 15 years, I think.
2: There's a movie.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, him. yeah. Yeah, yeah, cat <laughs> Got so much to watch. Catch up on. <laughs> is there so anything much. else left? Oh, and Child's Play. All right. How's it connected to Child's Play?
0: Well, that's the easy one. That goes yeah. back to the evidence room. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're right. Okay.
1: All right, so now it's 60-50 in Kat's favor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is, Ray, the, uh, Ray gets to pick where we go on mm-hmm. the board here. All right, so you got connections to Friday the 13th. And Child's uh-huh. Play and the Evil Dead left. So three boxes left here.
0: Ah, uh, Let's go to the red one. All right. <laughs> and usually we
1: made the red worth more, more points. Ever. Didn't we do that last time? I, don't I, know think, we did though. I think it you might have been worth How more much more did we time. make
0: them? I don't remember. I think it was 400.
2: <laughs> uh, it's like the golden snitch. <laughs> <speech.
0: laughs>
1: yeah. Game over. over. Yes. Man. Game over, man. Uh, well, can we just say 40 30, 20 yeah, that's instead.
0: Fine.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's give Ray a chance to catch up, Kat. Yeah. Right, this yeah. film came out in 1977, Ray. That's why okay. it's worth 40 points for this first clue. All right. Your first clue is it was written and directed by Wes Craven.
0: Uh The Hills Have Eyes.
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I knew he was gonna get that uh, the way he went. Mm. It's like, yeah, I got this. Mm. He's
1: actually uh, playing it up, I think, huh? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, released in seventy-seven, written and directed by the infamous horror director creator Wes Craven. The story was based on the legend of Scottish cannibal Sonny Bean. It's probably since yep. it's Scottish, he's probably Shawny B- Bane or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, close enough. Which Craven viewed as illustrating how supposedly civilized people could become savage. Uh, In addition to Dee Wallace, the cast included Michael Berryman, whose unusual appearance quickly made him a horror icon. He makes a cameo in uh, Weird Science alongside uh, Vernon Wells. Mm. Hills Have Eyes was a film that I saw as soon as it came out on videotape because it's like, you know, how it was growing up in the 70s and 80s. My parents were watching it and they don't care. It's like, you know, come Mm -hmm. on in, you can watch it. And I walk in while someone's getting killed, you know, it's like, (laughs) oh, for crying out loud. And who's this weird looking dude? (laughs) and ever since then i've never wanted to go on a road trip or camping (laughs) nothing i am not even kidding
0: yeah i I saw that at the drive-in when it came out oh wow i was was five yeah oh my god ray was like nothing he's like
1: i thought we. i didn't think we were seeing a comedy i thought we were seeing a horror film
0: well it is a comedy when he eats the bird
1: (laughs) that's probably what Uh, i saw that freaked me out (laughs) right now i'm starting to remember that you're right
0: yeah. And that was enough, <laughs> and uh, I can give you the tie-in if you want. So, what are we tying this into here? Uh, mm-hmm. Evil Dead. Okay, how do they? It's the it- it's the poster in the basement. That's right.
1: <laughs> For no additional points, right? Yeah. So you, you're right. You want to explain about that?
0: Uh, well, he just wanted to put the the poster in the basement in the movie because it just gave the movie more of a realistic feel as not, um, you know, a movie. That's right. a movie. This is reality. So there's a,
1: there's a poster of what appears to be Jaws, a torn poster mm-hmm. of Jaws in The Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. It, it may not actually be Jaws, but it's clearly a shark. It looks like Jaws. Maybe it's supposed to be Jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, and folks, including Sam Raimi, took that to mean that Wes Craven was saying Jaws was just a pop-up horror movie. <laughs> this movie here, Hills Have Eyes, this is a real horror movie. Uh-huh. And that's what inspired Sam Raimi to include his ripped up Hills Have Eyes poster <laughs> in his <laughs> film Evil Dead. Which is the thing that Nightmare on Elm Street was answering by putting Evil Dead as a film that would have Nancy fall asleep. So boring, you could fall asleep to it. (laughs) Very good, right? (laughs) Oh, you know what? Let me close that out, actually, because that's a real interesting story. Because it went on. It kept going. Sadly, Wes Craven passed away in 2016. But through the star series, Ash vs. Evil Dead, Sam Raimi has kept a tradition alive. In the season one finale, Ash returns to the iconic cabin in the woods, and in the cabin, or rather in the fruit cellar, which is what I meant to say earlier, mm-hmm. Freddie's glove is still hanging there. Oh. And then later, in the final episode of season two, uh, Ash and his uh, cohorts wound up traveling back in time to 1982. hmm And see there, hanging outside of a movie theater, is a poster of The Hills Have Eyes. Uh-huh. This time, of course, it's fully intact. <laughs> it's not ripped. Nope. <laughs> I think that's a nice sort of way to close it out and pay homage to his, you know, someone who he really, you know, truly respected and honored and was just having some fun with. Yeah. All right, so we've got two boxes and it's up to Kat, where we where she'd like to go. Something oh. connected to Friday the 13th or the final or the other box connected to Child's Play. Oh boy. <laughs> I'll just go up. <laughs> All right, Up is a film that was released in 1982. Kay. Clue number one for 30 points and you could tie Ray right now. Nice. <laughs> All you have to do is tell me for which film did Tom Savini create the grotesque special effects? <laughs> Kat, you don't know this, but this is, I don't think, I'm not I sound like I'm disrespecting Kat. Kat, you may not know this, but the I reason why this is know. hard is because Tom Savini created the special effects for lots of films in the 1980s.
2: Oh. <laughs> Trying to think of a...
1: <laughs> Just a classic horror film from the Just 1980s. That That's all you got to do. <laughs> I got nothing. you <laughs> have a good guess. All right, Ray, your clue. Number two for 20 points. It's the screenwriting debut of Stephen King.
0: Cooja? Seriously?
1: I get to guess again? Yep. yep. The film consists <laughs> of five short stories. Oh, no, no. Creepshow. <laughs> That's right.
2: <laughs> the five, the five story thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, My sister was obsessed with that. And I, I inadvertently saw some of it
1: mm, <laughs> as a child. It. All oh right. The, the score right now is Kat has 70 points and Ray has 90 points. And the last clue or the last. Uh... Wait.
2: Creepshow is connected to. Oh, Friday, very good. Thank you. Yes. Well, I'm not, ta- I don't
1: know how. <laughs> how. All right. you, neither of you guys are going to um, get this one. What? Mm. Let me think about it for a second. Now, remember, we talked about it can involve a movie in this, it's a sequel.
0: and If I was guessing, I'd say Friday the 13th, part eight has something to do with it.
1: <laughs> um. You might be right. I don't know. Because it's also <laughs> connected to Jason Goes to Hell, which I don't remember what uh, number f- that is in the franchise. No, nah, nah, that's, that's not the, that one. I guess that's the 11th one or so. Yeah. Um, also seen down in the Voorhees basement where earlier I told you we saw the uh, Necronomicon and the dagger. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. also see the crate that housed the monstrous oh. Fluffy from the story The Crate in Creepshow. Nice. All right, the final mm-hmm. film <laughs> and Clue will go to Ray. And somehow I have so mm-hmm. far, now this isn't going to be the last Starfighter situation. I'm going <laughs> to really focus here. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, got it. there you go. Year All 1986. Right.
0: All right, 1986. Find the final clue. Here he already knows. Here he knows. <laughs> Don't know. 86 has a lot of horror movies. Okay. Your first clue, right? For 30 points
1: and a clear victory, just a resounding victory over Cat. <laughs> 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 All right. Unlike the low-budget horror of the original, this sequel was more of a parody.
0: Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: goodness! <laughs> so yeah, released in 1986. It was directed by Toby Hooper, the legendary, uh, you know, uh, horror film director that left us too soon. Who also directed one of my favorites, uh, uh, Poultrygeist. We talked about that in our uh, Urban yeah, Legends yeah. episode. Maybe he didn't direct it, but he probably <laughs> did. Uh, and written by L. M. Kit Carson. It stars Dennis Hopper, Oh, uh, and the plot follows a radio host who's victimized and captured by Leatherface and his cannibalistic family, while a former Texas marshal uh, hunts them down. According to the documentary Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of Canon Films, this is like how Ray adds Electric Boogaloo to everything that we
0: talk about. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: But this is real. The production company Canon Films were expecting a horror film while Hooper wanted to make a black comedy. When Canon viewed the film, they were unhappy with the final product. Um, and like its predecessor, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 had difficulty with censors in various countries. The film was initially banned in Germany and Singapore, although Germany later gave the uh, uncut version an 18 rating and Singapore restricted it to those uh, under 21. Wow! So the only uh, connection that's left here, and we're, oh, sorry, I should show this, we're talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 because that gets us mm-hmm. into the 80s, but of mm-hmm. course the whole franchise is... Uh, part of this connection here to child's play. I think Rape probably guessed this one. He was on a hot streak earlier.
0: I'm, I'm thinking about it here. And um, Chainsaw 2 is one of my all time favorite movies. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> this is going to be another <laughs> thing where they had it in the evidence locker. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: In addition to Freddy's glove, Jason and and, Jason and Michael Myers' masks, we also see Leather che- leather, f- leather, che- leather, Faces' <laughs> Chainsaw. Ah, Chainsaw. All right, look, we've connected nine franchises. Well, I guess Hills Have Eyes isn't a franchise,
0: but Pumpkinhead no, has tecni- a sequel. Technically it is. Oh, they did redo it, right? Not
1: too long no, ago.
0: There's two movies in the- Oh, well, there is. Yeah, oh. the original, they were on dirt bikes- Hmm. In the in the second one.
1: Okay. Ooh. vaguely remember that. That wasn't in the 80s, though. Was it in the 90s, I guess? Uh, no, I thought that was 80s. Oh, you're right. I should have put that on there. 77. 85 huh. is, is part 85. two, which All Wes right. Craven also did those. Oh. And then in 2006 and 2007 is when we had their reboots.
2: It's okay because it made it the special
1: square. Right. The but red. then maybe he should have had 40 points. And that would have meant he only beat you by 110 to 70.
2: See, yeah, I accurate. feel so much better about that.
0: Well, uh, technically, this this wasn't fair, so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm amazed well, I got anything. Yeah, she gets, if really you don't. ever
0: if you ever want me to do Duran Duran trivia, we can do that just to make it fair.
2: <laughs> that would be fun sometime anyway. <laughs> yeah,
1: That is all the... Uh, Film connections of the shared horror movie universe from the 1980s. What I am now, this is a challenge to us here, right? And anybody listening, please write in and let us know. How do we connect our two different shared movie universes? The one where we have, you know, Blade Runner and Back to the Future to now these horror films. There's got to be a way. And maybe it involves that fake country that, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Zimbabwe. (laughs) Zimbabwe. How many times do I have to tell you this? Zimbabwe is a real country. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's it, right? Okay. Hey, lots of more Halloween fun coming this month. I hope. Mm -hmm. Somehow. Hell yeah. Including uh, (laughs) special episodes that Ray is making for our Patreon supporters. Which reminds me, of course, our show is brought to you in part by some of our very special patrons, including John Henderson, Bart Arnold, Craig Coletta, and John Kaminsky.
2: And you can also support future episodes of this podcast by going to Patreon.com/slash1980sNow.
1: Okay, hey. With that said, we will talk to you next time on 1980s Now.
2: See ya.
0: Later.